I'm going to be preaching on the last few verses of 2 Peter 3, that is verses 11 to 18, so you might find it a help to have the, your Bible open at that page, page 1224. How long did it take you to get ready for church this morning? Longer perhaps if you had children to bring than if you didn't. Wives, how long did your husbands take to get ready? Husbands, how long did your wives take? But you know the deadline, 11 o'clock, and you know how long it would take you to make the journey from home to church and what you might have wanted to do, the people you might have wanted to talk to before the service began. In many ways, in many areas of life, it's helpful to have a deadline, a piece of work that needs to be completed by a certain date, or for students, exams that are coming and will brook no delay. I've often thought how wise Dr. Samuel Johnson in the 18th century was when he said, if a man knows he's going to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. Well, the title for today's sermon from the closing verses of 2 Peter is Getting Ready for Christ's Return. Here we have a situation rather different from those I've mentioned in that although the return of Christ is absolutely 100% certain, it will happen, you can guarantee that. Nevertheless, the date is uncertain. Don't believe those who say they know the date when Christ is coming back. However plausible they may seem, that way lies only a snare and a delusion. The fact of Christ's return is certain, though the date is uncertain. In this chapter of 2 Peter, the Apostle refers to the coming of the Lord in various ways. For instance, verse 7, he calls it the day of judgment. In verse 10, the day of the Lord. In verse 12, the day of God. And again in verse 12, that day. Peter also speaks of what will happen on that great and awesome day, a destruction by fire of this present earth and universe as we know it. He mentions fire three times, verse 7, verse 10, and verse 12, which is a truly terrifying prospect. But... Peter also points us to a new heaven and a new earth, verse 13, taking up a theme from Isaiah 65 and 66, and one which John in Revelation 21 brought before his readers also. So the question arises, if we are to take the words of Peter seriously, and he and other New Testament writers speak 
with the same voice, to say nothing of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, then a day of the Lord is coming for which we must get ready. But how? This part of Peter's letter helps to concentrate our minds and I suggest five ways in which we need to prepare for the return of Christ. First of all, face the facts. Verse 11a, where the Apostle says, since, since everything will be destroyed in this way. <clears throat> the point at issue is not if the Lord comes, but rather when he comes. The date may be uncertain, but the fact is certain. So Peter says, don't fool yourself into thinking it won't happen. <clears throat> to adapt the words of the song that introduces Dad's army, who do you think you are kidding, Mr. Everyman, if you think the Lord won't come? He will come, suddenly, unexpectedly, like a thief, verse 10, and there will be no escape. <clears throat> you won't be able to say, oh, nobody told me, I didn't know. Or you won't be able to say, I'm going on holiday, I've got a previous engagement, it's rather uh, inconvenient. No. Peter says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, face the facts. Don't live in a fool's paradise. Don't fool yourself that it isn't going to happen. It is going to happen. We have the authority of the Lord himself and his apostles for saying so and believing so. So that's the first way of being prepared. The second way of preparing for the Lord's return is to live holy lives. This comes out very clearly in verses 11 and 14. Words like holy, godly, spotless, blameless are used. What a demanding Christian character and Christian lifestyle these words conjure up. In fact, the two words used in verse 14 and translated spotless and blameless with reference to Christian believers are used in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19 of Christ himself in his willing offering of himself to death as the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Earlier in this letter, Peter had warned his readers of the pretensions of false teachers whose doctrines were destructive, uh, heresies producing nothing but ungodly, immoral, blasphemous conduct totally at variance with what Peter is here urging on his readers. Surely, the belief in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest possible incentive to live lives of holiness and godliness. But Peter is well aware that this is easier said than done. Hence, his word 
in verse 14 to make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace. His Christian readers in every generation have to cope with the downward pull of their own lower nature, the temptations and allurements of the world around them, and maybe the ridicule and hostility of their companions who don't share their priorities or understand what motivates them. What a blessing, therefore, for Christians in every age to know of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, through whom alone true holiness and godliness can come to birth in us. Face the facts. Live holy lives. Thirdly, hasten the day, verse 12. He talks about people looking forward to the day of God and speeding its coming. Linked with the idea of hastening the day, there is Peter's use of the word look forward to the day of God and the Lord's return. It's a word used, in fact, three times. It's used in verses 12, 13 and 14. Look back to the beginning of chapter 3 where Peter refers to scoffers who had persuaded themselves that the universe was a closed system and God could not or would not intervene in its affairs. People who thought like that overlooked the fact that not only had God intervened in the primal nothingness to bring the universe into being in the first place, but also had intervened in judgment by bringing the flood on the wicked world in the days of Noah. That day was a day of judgment by water. The future judgment at the day of the Lord will be one of fire, which, as we noted earlier, he spoke of in verses 7, 10 and 12. We can't be sure exactly what picture Peter had in mind in speaking as he did. He may well have meant literal fire leading to the sort of destruction spoken of in verses 10 and 12 with the elements melting uh, in heat and so on. But the, the idea uh, of fire is certainly not to be excluded in an age when politicians talk merrily about weapons of mass destruction and rogue states such as North Korea and Iran with nuclear capability make threatening gestures from time to time. So you may ask, against that background, how can God's people look forward with eager anticipation to the day of the Lord? When such a day of judgment comes, it will not come because the world has fallen out of God's control or because some madman has pressed the nuclear button. It will happen because God will do it at the time and in the manner that he chooses. He is still in control and will be in control. 
That being so, Christians can indeed look forward to the Lord's coming and look forward too to the new heavens and the new earth that God will bring into being out of the cataclysm. This is what he refers to in verse 13. And if you say such a catastrophic judgment by fire would include you and me in it, so what is there to look forward to in that? I would reply, our God is a God of resurrection and new life. If he can raise Jesus from the dead, if he can raise to life those whose bodies have been dust for hundreds and thousands of years, there is no doubt he can change instantaneously the bodies of those alive at the time of the Lord's return and so fit them for life in the new heaven and the new earth. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But what about this hastening or speeding the coming of the day of God? It seems that in some way the timing of the Lord's return is dependent on the state of the church. As we wait for that day, we aren't hanging around doing nothing in idleness. Lord Shaftesbury, the great Victorian reformer, had a very keen daily expectation of the Lord's return. But that led him not into idleness very far from it, into tireless efforts to improve the lot of the poorest, the most downtrodden and the least regarded members of society. When we pray, thy kingdom come, and really mean it, we are hastening the day of the Lord. Similarly, when we share the gospel with someone else, or enable other people to do so, we are hastening the day of the Lord. For did not Jesus himself say in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So our prayers, our godly conduct, and our evangelism all play their part in hastening the day of the Lord. And we know that the Lord's, the Lord's patience springs not from weakness or carelessness, but from a desire to lead people to salvation, verse 15. For, as verse 9 tells us, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. Face the facts, live holy lives, hasten the day, fourthly, heed the scriptures, verses 15 to 17. In these verses we have an interesting and affectionate comment by Peter about his fellow apostle Paul. Paul was a dear brother and he was a man of God-given wisdom says Peter. And what it was that Paul had previously written 
to the people whom Peter was now addressing, we don't know. But Peter is sure that he and Paul would speak with the same voice, sing from the same hymn sheet, you might say, regarding many of the matters dealt with in this letter, such as the dangers of false teaching, the need for godly conduct, the sure hope and eager expectation of the Lord's return and all it would involve, and the need to understand and obey the teaching of the scriptures. It's interesting that Peter, the former fisherman of Galilee, found in some of Paul's letters things hard to understand. And he was not the first nor the last person to find it to be so. But notice too that word other in verse 16. Let me read that verse to you because it's, it's significant. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. An important word, other. Because Peter is clearly here ranking Paul's letters with Old Testament scripture and maybe with whatever of the rest of the New Testament had by that time been written. But here too there is a warning of the danger of distorting scripture perhaps to make it mean what you want it to mean or choosing the nice bits and ignoring the difficult bits or the bits about judgment or treating it in an uh, unbalanced manner through not comparing scripture with scripture. When I was in full-time ministry from time to time especially if I was preaching on a controversial topic I would invite the congregation to see whether they thought I had given a true and faithful and rounded picture of what the Bible said on the matter and to come and discuss with me if they thought I had been wrong or had distorted what the Bible said. We must pay heed to the teachings of Scripture, of the whole of Scripture, and as Peter says, to be on our guard so as not to be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from our secure position. And finally, my fifth point comes in verse 18. Grow in grace and in knowledge. Getting ready for the Lord's return involves growth. Growth in grace means understanding more as time goes by of the breathtaking grace, mercy and love which God has bestowed on us, especially in and through his Son Jesus. It was said of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was full of grace and truth. And so to grow in grace means to become more like him and to express in life and character more and more of the grace he showed. And we are to grow too in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, which means, I suggest, to grasp increasingly what the terms Lord and saviour mean 
especially when coming from the pen of a man who had first encountered Jesus as a fisherman by the Sea of Galilee. What greater challenge could there be than to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour and to go on knowing him ever more deeply and fully? Let me therefore in conclusion ask, how ready are you, how ready am I for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ? We don't know when he will come, but we know that he will. Peter here urges us to face the facts and not live in some fool's paradise. To live holy lives that reflect the character of Jesus himself. To hasten the day of his coming and to look forward to it by our actions, our words and our prayers. To heed the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament and not to ignore them or distort them. And to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord rather than being static or backsliding in our faith. My almost final words must be those with which Paul closes, not just this section, but his whole letter. To him, Christ, be glory both now and forever. Amen, he says. And we would say, and we would echo, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.